There are so many religions in the world. How are they similar and how are they different? We need to know. The culturally correct view is to blend them all together as equally relevant and legitimate. But is that true? Prior to becoming a follower of Jesus, your host, Mike Shreve, was an avid seeker of truth, exploring many paths to spirituality. One of his passions now is to help bridge the gap so that others can discover the true light, which gives light to everyone entering the world. Now, here's Mike Shreve revealing the true light. I'm so glad you've decided to join me on this episode of Revealing the True Light. This podcast is going to be very helpful, informative, and empowering to you. I believe that. We're going to be focusing on the names of various religions in this world. And every single name reveals an important aspect of that particular belief system. Sometimes it is a reference to the very person who founded the religion. At other times, it may be a reference to a primary concept that followers of that religion embrace and promote. The names of some religions speak of a deep spiritual longing or some kind of religious goal that is common to all who desire to know and to serve God. However, even though the interpretation of the names of these belief systems at times may sound universally acceptable, within a biblical context, the same words often mean something altogether different. So this episode is going to help refine and increase your discernment. And in this age, especially, our level of discernment needs to be sharpened. You will discover it's all about becoming sensitive to the subtle nuances of meaning and the differences of meaning in these religious terms. What means one thing in one particular worldview may mean something altogether different in another worldview. Just to show you how challenging it can be to properly define terms or how two things can seem very similar and yet be totally opposite in meaning. What about a silly example? The terms flathead or level-headed. You could say to uh, someone uh, concerning another individual, that person is a real flathead. Or you could say that person is really level-headed. Now, physically, it sounds like you're describing the same thing, but symbolically, one is an insult while the other is a compliment. And so we've got to be very, very careful how we define terms. No wonder Jesus warned, take heed that the light which is in you be not darkness. Let me say that again. Take heed that the light that is in you be not darkness. Because what seems like light may be darkness, and what seems like darkness may be light. Words are containers of either truth or deception. And often the difference is determined by the intent of the spokesperson or by the foundation of the belief system in which you find those terms. Are you ready? Uh, now that I've laid the foundation of this episode, 
let's go into the meanings of the names of various religions. And I've got two goals in bringing this forth. Uh, one is to inform you of what members of that particular belief system interpret that name to mean. And secondly, how we would interpret the same name from a Christian perspective. I think uh, this is going to be very helpful in communicating the gospel to adherents of various worldviews. We'll understand more where they're coming from and what we have to offer as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. So I've picked out 10 names of various belief systems that I want to cover on this episode. Number one is Buddhism. This religion, like a number of others, is named after its founder, Buddha. Uh, but the name Buddha means enlightened one. And uh, the original founder's name at first was Siddhartha Gautama. And when he achieved or claimed to achieve a place called Nirvana, he was enlightened concerning the nature of life, the nature of existence. And one of the things he claimed to be enlightened to was that nothing has any kind of permanent existence. And that includes us, that uh, at, at death, you cease to exist as a personal individual and uh, you're reincarnated as another altogether. And Buddha had no set doctrine concerning a supreme creator or a supreme being. So enlightenment to him uh, primarily involved a recognition and acknowledgement that nothing in this world is permanent and that uh, this life is full of suffering and the way to overcome suffering is to overcome uh, desire. And you do that through the Eightfold Path. Um, so without going into detail about that, that comprised enlightenment in this system of religious thought called Buddhism. Now, we do need light, and that's where the connecting point is. We as Christians acknowledge that this world is full of darkness. The ruler of the world, uh, the prince of darkness, and he promotes through his deception and the demonic underlings that work under him, the darkness of deception in this world. Uh, those who are bound to it are called children of darkness. And yet Jesus said, when he walked on the earth in John chapter 8 and John chapter 9, two times he declared, I am the light of the world. And so, yes, we do need to be enlightened. Um, the Bible says the entrance of your word gives light. And so when we receive the word of God, when we receive biblical instruction, we are receiving that that will enlighten us on this earthly journey. In fact, David said, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So I agree with Buddhists in this particular way that we do need light in this very dark world, but that light comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. The next worldview is Confucianism. Now, once again, Confucianism is named after its founder, Confucius. 
which is a word that actually is comprised of two original words, confusi, which means opening and master. Confucius' name was a combination of two words, confusi, that means opening and master. And so uh, he was being celebrated as the master of wisdom who opened up a door of wisdom to those who follow his teachings. And these are things, once again, that I agree we need. We need a master, someone who is knowledgeable, someone who is full of truth that can open the door to a life of wisdom for all of us. However, in a Christian or a biblical context, we don't look to Confucius, even though much of his teaching is very applicable. It regards human relationships, which are enshrined in Confucianism, uh, how to properly treat parents, how to properly treat uh, those who are in authority over you and equals, etc. So all of that can contain some very wise insights into human relationships. However, for us to live a life that is fulfilling and purposeful and true, and for us to walk in uh, knowledge and wisdom in an effective way, we need the one who said, I am the door. He didn't say I'm one of many doors. He didn't say Confucius is a door you can walk through or I, the Lord Jesus Christ, am a door you can walk through. He singled out himself. He said, I am the door and by me, if any man enters in, he shall be saved. And he was referred to many times in the gospels as master, master, one who is in authority, one who is the Lord of your life. And Jesus, the son of God, the manifestation of God in this world is the only one you should choose as your master. The next religion is Islam. And the word Islam means submission, submission to the authority of the teachings of Muhammad, which includes something called the five pillars of Islam, which are number one, a daily profession of faith that uh, there is only one God and his name is Allah and, uh, and Muhammad is his prophet. The second of the five pillars is prayer toward Mecca uh, uttered five times a day. The third is the, uh, the month of Ramadan which is the month of fasting, participating in that. The fourth is zakat, which is uh, contributing 2.5% of your income. Uh, and then the fifth is hajj, which is uh, a pilgrimage during your lifetime to Mecca. And in order to achieve, quote unquote, salvation within Islam, you must submit to these five pillars. Now, as a Christian, as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, I believe in submission. However, I believe in submission to the laws of God as found in the Bible. Now, uh, I do differentiate between the Old Testament and the New Testament, between the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, and the teachings of the New Covenant era. In the Torah, there were 613 commandments that a person had to submit to, but uh, we are not without commandments in the New Testament, and there have been 
some uh, very definite and, and marked changes between the Torah and the New Testament. And uh, we are not free from obedience or submission altogether. Quite the opposite. It hasn't decreased. It's increased. There are 1,050 commandments in the New Testament. And if you want that whole list, just email me and I will send it to you. 1,050 commandments in the New Testament that you and I should be submitted to. But I do warn you, with knowledge comes responsibility. So if you email me from our website, shreveministries.org, and I send you those 1,050 commandments, then you're all the more responsible to live up to them. But it's still a, a very good thing to know. And now the next religion I want to uh, unveil the meaning of, or the meaning of its name, is Jainism, which is not a very well-known religion, but Mahatma Gandhi, that great leader of India, was not only influenced by Hinduism, but he was very influenced by Jainism. And the word Jainism means a conqueror, and the implication is a conqueror of attachment to this world. Now, according to that religion, there have been 24 Jainas, or Jinas, uh, or those who have conquered the world. And the last one was Mahavira, who is uh, recognized as the founder of Jainism. And he taught something called five great vows. And they were a renunciation of, number one, killing any living thing. Jainists are strict vegetarians. Number two, lying. Number three, greed. Number four, sexual pleasure. Number five, worldly attachments. And uh, Mahavira uh, felt uh, that he had to follow these laws, these five great vows to such degree that he left his wife and children and lived a life of uh, extreme fasting and self-denial. Now, I agree. I agree that we do need to renounce this world and be separate. The Bible does say Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord, and I will receive you and I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters. However, it doesn't mean withdrawing from the world and such detachment that we do not have an influence in the world. And yes, I agree, just like the word Jainism means a conqueror of attachment to this world. We need to conquer the flesh. We need to conquer the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, all the things that contaminate the souls of men. And so there is a connection between the name Jainism and how we should live as Christians and hopefully that will help you communicate to a Janus exactly how you feel you can become more than a conqueror as a child of God by trusting in the cross, by trusting in the name of Jesus. Now, the name Judaism, which of course is part of the foundation of our faith, but it's important to see that the word Judaism comes from the name Judah, the fourth son of Leah, that means praise, and, and the implication was praise to God. At the birth of Judas, she gave praise to God. And therefore, a Jew is someone who seeks to be a source of praise to God. Well, I'm in total and complete agreement with that. Number six is Sikhism. Sikhism was founded by Guru Nanak. It was 
uh, in a sense, an offshoot of Hinduism. He grew up in a Hindu and Muslim-dominated society and formed uh, a religion that rejected some of the tenets of both of those religions, and yet he taught that the God of the Muslim faith and the God of the Hindu faith was one God. And the word Sikhism means a disciple or a learner. And a Sikh, therefore, is someone who learns from the 10 gurus who led uh, Sikhism through the centuries. And the last guru said that there would no longer be a living human being as a guru, but the Adigranth, which is their holy book, would be the guru that all Sikhs learn from and all Sikhs are discipled by. Well, I agree that we need to be disciples. I agree that we need to be learners because part of our problem in this world is we're born in spiritual ignorance. And Jesus came to raise up disciples. He told us to go into all the world and make disciples, which means disciplined individuals who are trained and taught by God through his word, through his anointed leadership, and by a relationship with God himself. And there are many signs of a disciple, the chief of which is love. He said, uh, when he walked the earth, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples by your love one for another. So now you know how to communicate the gospel to a Sikh. Yes, we are called to be disciples, but the one we're discipled by is the Lord Jesus Christ. The next religion is Taoism. And the word Taoism means the way. It's from the word Tao or T-A-O, it's spelled. And it means the way to bring balance to life when you recognize the dualities of life, which is what the yin-yang symbol represents, how the world, the universe, existence is full of dualities, darkness and light, mountains and valleys, uh, pain and pleasure, day and night. Life is full of dualities and Taoism is all about balancing and finding harmony in the midst of these extreme opposites. Well, I agree that we must find the way, but you can't do it through philosophy and you can't do it through religion. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. When you find Jesus, you find the solution to every problem and the answer to every question. In fact, the early church was referred to as followers of the way. They found the way, the way to reach God, the way to be forgiven of your sin, the way to walk successfully in this world, the way to achieve eternal life in the next world. So when you find Jesus, you find the way. The next religious system I want to mention, and it is a religious-based system, is yoga. I was a yoga teacher 50 years ago. I taught yoga and meditation at four universities. I ran a yoga ashram. Often I would teach my students that the word yoga means yoked or union, and the implication is union with God. Many people think yoga is just a system of exercises, physical exercises, but it has a religious base. It's very spiritual at its core. Its essence is a Hindu view of spirituality, and to be yoked with yoga or to be a practitioner of yoga, to be a yogi or a yogini, is to be yoked with a Hindu worldview. And uh, you can't get away from that. However, I do agree we need to be yoked. 
And Jesus himself said, come unto me all you that labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. He said, take my yoke upon you. And so we're not to be yokeless. Uh, two animals that are yoked together have to go the same speed, the same direction. And if you and I are yoked with the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to go the same speed, the same direction in life, following the will of God for our lives. Now, just two more very quickly. The next religious system is New Age spirituality. Where do you get that term New Age? It is an astrological term. It's a belief that we are at the cusp of a New Age on this planet Earth called the Age of Aquarius, when spirituality will be heightened and many of the problems of the human race will be solved, war will cease, peace will reign. I agree with New Agers, a new age is coming, but it's called the Kingdom Age, the Messianic Age, when the Lord Jesus Christ will physically, bodily come back from heaven, set up his kingdom in Jerusalem, and this world will be born into a whole new level of spirituality, but it will not come through new age practices. It will come through the return of the Lord Jesus Christ and the resurrection of the dead. The very last religion I want to mention is, is not a well-known religion. It's actually a new age group called Ekankar. And that very name, Ekankar, E-C-K-A-N-K-A-R, means a co-worker with God. And the reason I mention it is now that we've recognized the meaning of all these other religions and we've put them in a biblical context, I agree with their concar, even though I don't agree with their teachings, I agree that we need to be co-workers with God. And there's a lot to do to bring truth to this generation. So remember my point is that there is an inborn craving for these things and an understanding in all human beings that we need them. We need enlightenment. We need an open door to truth. We need submission to God's truth. We need to conquer attachment to this world. We need to be a source of praise to God. We need to become true disciples. We need to find the way and walk in it. We need to be yoked with God. And we need to believe that a new age, a kingdom age, a messianic age is coming in this world. And knowing these things, we need to be co-workers with God. I hope this has been a blessing to you. Join me on the next episode of Revealing the True Light. A lot of this is drawn from my book, In Search of the True Light. Be sure to get a copy and follow along with me in some very empowering revelations that will help you reach the world around you. Thank you for joining Mike Shreve today on Revealing the True Light. And thank you for opening your mind and your heart to the truth. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. You can explore the beliefs of many world religions more deeply by ordering Mike Shreve's book titled In Search of the True Light. We also invite you to visit our website, thetruelight.net, and sign up to be part of our global internet family.